Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to Two Cups of Tea, the podcast where I get to hear the life story of an amazing character in their golden years. I'm in Hull today to meet an absolutely inspirational woman, an author of Somebody I Used to Know her best-selling autobiography about living with early-onset dementia. If you don't already own the book, you absolutely need to get a copy. As you'll hear from this conversation, she's incredibly insightful about dementia, speaking as someone who lives with it every day. Anyway, let's do this. I was born in... Wakefield in York, West Yorkshire. Yeah. In 1956. So it sounds an age ago, but I'm I'm only 63 years young. Yes. <laughs> was it a particular place in Wakefield, or was it like a, a village or an outskirt or a oh, suburb? No, that's where I was born. I actually lived um, in uh, Nottingley originally yeah. for a few years. Um, in a pub called the Railway Hotel. You lived in a pub? Yeah. So were your mum and dad publicans or yeah, landlords? that's right. And what was the name of the pub, sorry? The Railway Hotel. The Railway Hotel. Yeah. So was it right next to a railway line? It is. Nottingley Railway. And was it a popular pub? Oh, yes. We had wonderful times there. As I just remember being a little person with a massive brush sweeping the, the floorboards <laughs> trying to find pennies that the... Customers had dropped. <laughs> and, and what did you do with those pennies? Oh, they were they were probably spent on sweets or something like that. Good. From uh, for a minute, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that they had to go back to the people oh, who dropped them. Oh, definitely not. No. They they dropped them for me. Exactly. Yeah. As we all know, the rules and it's legally binding yeah. are that it's finders keepers, losers weepers. That's absolutely right. We don't make the rules. Really. <laughs> um, so, what's yeah. your earliest memory? No. Oh. Well, my earliest memory is actually in the pub. Right. uh, In a cot, pushing my hand through the bars, looking out. Really? see myself perfectly in the cot. Yeah. Um, Goodness knows why, I don't know. But uh, I can... I'm assuming it must have been in the pub, in the front living room. Yeah. And I can... Just picture my cot there and me stood up with the bar, holding the bars with my hand going through. So how long were you at the pub? 
Oh, Four. I don't think we were there for many years, probably about six years, something like that. Um, but then we, we moved, they came out of the pub and we moved to a, um, into Pontefract. Right. But I still went to school in Ferry Bridge, a little village school. Little oh, I know Ferry Bridge, yes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... I I had lovely times at Very Bridge School. I yeah. had very fond memories there. That was like a primary school. Was it, it was, yeah. So what were you, what were the things that you remember about about the school and about your little friends? Oh, I just remember lots of smiles and laughter. I just remember having a very happy time at school. Yeah, I loved school um, because we where we lived, uh, I lived away from my friends. Yeah. And so school was my time to play <laughs> for me. <laughs> so at the end of the day, you didn't, a lot of people, you didn't walk home with your friends no. whenever you were collected. And... No, no, I caught the bus. Oh, right. I caught the bus um, in to um, a stop before Pontefract and then had a lovely walk home past the licorice works. Yes, because Pontefract cakes. Yeah, that's which right. they're, they're the little they're the black discs, aren't they? That's it. I always get confused between those and Eccles cakes, but Pontefract oh, no. are the nice they're, licorice. They're ones. the licorice licorice Ooh, circles. I do love a Pontefract yeah. cake. I love the licorice works. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet they smelled fantastic. Yeah. Well, we had the licorice fields as well. Hang on, I didn't know how licorice did it grow. Oh, yes, yeah, like a root. Uh, uh, Why did I not know that? Well, it... I, I don't know, but you can you can buy the wood to chew. Some people liked to chew the wood because it tasted of licorice. And uh, so, the, so you, there were licorice fields. Yeah. Which is presumably why it was Pontefract that had That's the name right. of the thing because they were all. Well, I never knew that. <laughs> Every day's a school day. I there like you that. go. That's your learning for today. Exactly. <laughs> So tell me about your your your, your parents. Mm. Uh, my my mum, she um, worked. She was the secretary for um, oh um, I call them a pop company, but the the pop that you drink. Oh yeah. Um, um, like our whites or Corona yeah, or like those was, kind of. It ones. was Hayes the back then. Oh okay. Um, and. My my dad worked at oh the steel factory right. near where we lived, so yeah. Do you remember the kind of games that you used to play? Mm, well, I was um, I, I because there was no other children to play with. Yeah. I used to make my own entertainment. So it was just you. Yeah, you were an so, only uh, child. Oh no, I had a brother, but he was much older than me. Oh okay, so it was kind of like almost having an uncle. Well, not that old. I don't no. think he'd thank me for saying that. I'm sure that. he wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, re- I remember just riding round and round on my bicycle, making up stories and um, things like that, because we lived in a cul-de-sac. What character traits, what, what do you think you've inherited from them? Do you mm. think you're more like your mum or more like your dad? Oh, I think I, I've got my mum's resilience. Yeah. And my dad's kindness. Uh, my dad was a wonderfully kind man. He'd do anything for anybody. Yeah. And my mum was a very determined person. For There was no... She had many health problems. Yeah. And yet she never let any of them 
um, stop her from doing what she loved doing. So she, that I think so. I got her resilience yeah. and my dad's kindness. That's how I like to think of it. Oh well, that's perfect. Mm. And did you enjoy school? Did you enjoy the work? No, I loved. I just loved school. Full stop. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't the brightest child in the class. Yeah. But I, I just used to love learning. When you finished primary school, where did you go to? So you went to Ferrybridge Primary School. Yeah. And where did you go next? Did you go with the same school all your friends went to? Um, some of them, we all split up then, but some of some of us went to Pontefract High School. Yeah. Because um, we're, we're talking back in the 11-plus days. Yeah. So I passed my 11-plus and went to Pontefract High. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. It's often at that point that people find that they're very good at, at something... All, all the tennis, hockey, netball, everything, anything that they did, I, I was in there. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> My best friend, Jill. Yeah. Who, actually, we met up for the first time since our school days, very recently. Oh, how actually, was that? Oh, that was wonderful. Yeah, we were, we, we just chatted and chatted for, for ages. Yeah. Um, She'd, she'd seen me in the paper or something like that. And then... Oh, and she got in me. touch? Yeah. I think we were just pleased to find one another again. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've been to Pontefract High, you passed your 11 mm. plus. Mm. So this must have been around, mm. what, coming up for... Mm. Oh, my goodness. So 1956. Uh, so late 60s. Yeah. Very early 70s. Mm. Yeah. And so after school, mm. what was the next chapter? So when you left mm. school, what was the thing that you slowly realised you were mm. you were becoming? What what did you do? Well, I, I went to PE college. Um, I actually wanted to be a manager of a sports centre because yeah. they were just starting to appear. We had our very first one appear and. Um, in my final years at school. So I wanted to manage one of those. So like the leisure centres where you go to play yeah. indoor football and That's badminton right. and all yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, so, but, of course, the school wasn't geared up to advise because they because were very brand new. new. <laughs> so I went to PE college and I just... I I liked the learning yeah. and... Love teaching. I love the teaching of the when you were on placement and things like that. What did you like best about it? Oh, just just sharing my enthusiasm with children. You yeah. can you can you can convert a non sports lover if if you've got the right enthusiasm and yeah. the right imagination for them. Um and so so you were at P College and you had placements at different schools. Yeah. Yeah, but that didn't work out. After 18 months, I realised that um, it wasn't for me because I'd always... Um, I couldn't cope with the social aspect of it. Uh, it sure. It, and that's a big thing when you go to college. But because I'd not experienced that thing that before, mm. um, then... It, it got too much for me. Very quickly, when you say the mm. social aspect, do you mean all of the mm. the late nights and people going out? And, yeah. And, 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 so, and, and it so just wasn't your in. thing? I didn't fit in. Sure. Yeah. 
back then I was a very, I wasn't shy, but I was a very private person. Yeah. Before dementia entered my life, I was a very, very private person. Right. Totally different from this alien that sits before you now. (laughs) So you decided that the PE college wasn't for you. Mm. And you then said you went, and where, so where next? I volunteered. I I did um, community service volunteer in a children's home. And they gave me a room. Mm. And I worked as a care, sort of care assistant. Yeah. And and that's where I met m- my husband. Um, sure. Yeah, he was a social worker. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so you got room and board. Yeah. Wow, and that was, but it was voluntary work, that's but with right. room and board. Yeah. So you had everything you needed right yeah, there. That's right. And you were looking after the kids. Yeah, they were. What kind of age shots. were they? They were. Well, they were. There was one house that was littlies, yeah. um, little dead dogs. Primary, primary school children. Yeah. And then the other house was secondary school children. Yeah. So very different challenges for them both. But again, I had a wonderful time um, with them. They were. I met some amazing characters. Yeah, I can believe it. Tragic lives, but but desperately trying to turn themselves around. You yeah. know, you could see in them that if if they were given a chance, they could they could be just like anybody else. You Not, could see the seeds of what they the could se- become. Yes. Yeah, yes. I understand. And so it was you and your future husband. Yeah, he was a social worker there. And so what you know, and and so how did you first realise that you were that you were oh, going goodness. to end up together? Well, I can't remember because now we've been divorced for thirty odd years. So. Sure. Well, we ended up in Suffolk because oh, that's wow. where my my oldest daughter was born. Yes, in near Ipswich Stone Market. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, when your daughter was born, so how yeah. many children do you have? Two. You have two. You have a daughter. Was that two your first? Daughters. Oh, okay. And were they both born in the same kind of part of the world? No, no. Uh, Sarah was born in Ipswich, and then we moved to Milton Keynes. So Gemma was born in in Northampton at the time. Um, I've just. I, I'm conscious of the fact that you know that, that I know that you you live with dementia because that's the reason we're talking to each other. It's because of the amazing book that you've written, mm. and I'm conscious that I'm. You know, I'm doing what I normally do, and I'm firing questions at you. Mm. How mm. how easy is it for you to access, mm. you, you know, those those long term memories? Those long term memories are no problem whatsoever. It, it's because the closer you get to now, that's when I'll struggle. Sure. And since dementia has entered my world, then my blog is my memory, so I can't remember. And how does that work? You, you said you, just before we started, you took a picture, you took a selfie of the two of us for yeah. your blog. And what was that for? Well, if I don't, my blog is is simply my memory. And if I don't type about your visit yeah. as soon as you've gone, then by tomorrow I will have forgotten the detail. Sure. I'll know whether I've liked you or not. Good. Because we never lose our emotions, <laughs> but we lose the detail. Yeah. So we know if someone's made us feel good or bad or um, indifferent, 
but we never, we, we, we rarely re- remember the detail. God, that's so true, isn't it? And I haven't really thought about that. Yeah. But emotion is such a powerful thing. Mm. I imagine it must cut through Oh, well, the emotional else. part of the brain isn't affected by dementia. Right. And that's why I always say never stop visiting people. Yeah. Because even though they might won't know your name, they won't know who you are. Yeah. They'll have that emotional feeling of whether they like you or not, and whether you're whether it's whether a reassuring presence. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a brilliant point, and that's such a oh, yeah. that's one of those things. And I, I tell you what, I've, I've interviewed lots of different people, uh, lots of different ages. You don't often hear from people who are suffering. I've used the word phrase suffering. You, you've I used did. that word. I've used the word suffering, and I did, and you were right, you told me off for that earlier, and I was you were right to. Tell me why it's a bad thing to say. Yeah, okay. So if if all you hear are negative words, yeah. like suffering, like losses, senile, all those words are negative. Yeah. And that's why there's so much stigma against dementia. Yeah. So when someone's diagnosed, they've got all this negativity in their mind and immediately feel like it's the end. Whereas if you change the word simply to living with dementia, it's just, it's not underplaying the enormous struggles that we have every day. Sure. I'm just saying it sounds so much better. Yeah, of course. And it gives people hope, but suffering gives no one hope. And we all suffer every day. Of course. But we're living with it and trying to cope with the negative, the challenges that it throws at us. Mm. When you were in Suffolk, what were you doing? Were you continuing to work with children? Oh, no. <laughs> I did. I've, I've done lots of strange jobs. I made lawnmowers. You made lawnmowers? <laughs> and there's Suffolk Punch. <laughs> so you made both lawnmowers and Suffolk Punch? The, the, the Suffolk Punch is a lawnmower. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a drink. I thought it was like cider. <laughs> I thought, I thought you were well, talking about... Well, it might be that I as well. Were, sometimes I made lawnmowers, <laughs> other times I made cider. <laughs> and so after you made lawnmowers... Yeah. I, I've, you've got my favourite CV of anyone I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, I think my funniest job was um, wrapping butter... Wrapping butter. Because it was long before the health and safety days. Yeah. And I remember I only lasted a day because I couldn't stand up in the in the place because the floor was so so greasy and slippy. Oh, so there was butter everywhere all over yeah. the floor. Oh, my God. <laughs> so where next on your CV? Oh, Milton Keynes. Yes. Where I was there for 30 years. Oh, really? Yes. Um... It was wonderful at the time when we were there. Yeah. Because it was just beginning to become Milton Keynes. Yeah, it was the new town, wasn't it? it? I mean, it was one of those mm. It was one of those rare things. It was a town that had an advert for it on the telly. That's right. We were... With the balloons. We lived there was with it the balloons? balloons yeah. Red balloons. Um, so we saw it all growing and the shopping centre going up and yeah. everything like that. And again, I met my... So more best friends there that I still keep in touch with, Julie and Terry. 
we used to walk the children to school together and um, everything. Yeah. It was a lovely, lovely time. Did you have children who were the same age then? We did. Yeah. Yes. Ryan and Alec were the same age as Sarah and Gemma. Yeah. So we 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 they we walked them to school. We lived next door. Yeah. We, we had a, a a lovely time. So it was so it was you and the girls at this point. Yeah. Um, because we didn't have very much money, so we had to be very creative. I had to be very creative in mm. in what I I I did with them. Yeah. You know, walking the park. It might be we'll go elephant hunting, <laughs> <laughs> see if we could spot an elephant, and just creative what? things. Wendy, mm. did you ever see an elephant? Um. There was always one that got away. <laughs> <laughs> one that you saw and yeah. you said, "Quick look! Oh, it's gone." <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, they won't go. Otherwise, they won't go elephant hunting again. No, that's so. There's true. got to be. There's always got to be the promise of an elephant. That's right. Had you had any health issues at all? Mm-hmm. I imagine being so sporty, mm-hmm. you, you didn't. But well, I had a. I was renowned for having a brilliant memory. Right. So. That's how I first knew there was something wrong because it started to let me down. Right. Um, I'd had just ordinary health things like everybody else, but nothing major mm. until I had two or three strokes. And it was then that all the tests started um, and uh, um, when my memory started to let me down yeah. and when I was out running and I'd fall flat on my face because my brain and my legs weren't talking to one another as they right. did. So I knew there was something not right. I just... But did you ascribe it to the strokes? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, dementia never entered my vocabulary yeah. because, like so many other people, I thought it only happened to older people. I thought it yeah. was age-related, and it's anything but. Even even though that's true, I mean, the age, what age did you say I you, was you first? I So is that, that still must be quite a young onset, or, or are there lots of cases? Because I don't know There's much about it. There's lots of cases under 65. Some of my friends are in their 30s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's even been a, a recorded um, um, incidence of a child having mm. been diagnosed with it. So um, it's it's more likely to happen the older you get. Yeah. But if you're under 65, it's called young onset dementia. Sure. Mm. When I've in the conversations I've had, I've. Uh, and in the media generally, you don't often speak to people who who are living with dementia. It's often relatives. That's right. Yeah. And it's and I think that's why you and and the book that you've that you've written is such a beacon to lots of people. Mm. It's so rare to talk to people who are themselves living yeah. with living with dementia. But that's because when. People hear that word dementia, they think of the end. Yeah. And because we're not given, when we're given a diagnosis, we're often abandoned mm. to, to 
find our own way around this maze of confusion. Um, and so people often give up and their family often think of it as the end. Mm. But people forget that there's a beginning and you're no different the day after you got the diagnosis than the yeah. day before. With, with so much life still to be lived if you're given the chance. And because the medics, the clinicians, they always say there's nothing we can do because they look at it from a medicalised world. Yeah. You know, there is. we can't have an operation, we can't be made better. Mm. So to them, there is nothing they can do. But if they used social prescribing instead of this medicalised yeah. vision, then they could point people in the direction of support and help that could truly help them to live. That's so true. Mm. Does, does that exist? Oh, in tiny little pockets of the country. Mm. But still, I hear, I get thousands of emails from people, literally thousands and I've never had any that say, oh, we were given good advice when we got the diagnosis. Yeah. People have been abandoned, so it's still happening even now. And so that's, that shows the impact of the book as to how people are, and how people are, are hungry for a way for it not to be dealt with in that medicalised way mm, you talk that's about. That's right. They just want knowledge. Yeah, you know, um, and the fact they're coming to you I as know, opposed that's very to sad, isn't it? Well, no, I mean it's 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 wonderful in a way, but at the same time, I know what you mean. It it, it should be on your doorstep. There should yeah. be leaflets about that at the you know next to the the the, the flu jab. That's right. You know, information and surgeries. Giving out this positive advice. Yeah, and yes, there is a a bummer of a diagnosis to get. We have some really rubbish days. Mm. Um, but I always say that if today is a bad day, tomorrow might be better. Yeah. I'm very lucky. I always say I'm so lucky because I'm a glass half full person. Yeah. And so many people that are glass half empty people struggle to see anything positive. Yeah. And so need that help of those closest to them to see that there are things they can still do. There's lots we can't do, but there's nothing we can do about it. So did being a glass half full person help you on the, the day you were diagnosed? Do you remember the day? Oh, I remember the day very clearly. Well, I remember the image yeah. of the consultant because she had a very sad look in her face uh, saying there's nothing we can do. Um, and it gave me a handshake and said bye-bye. And that's the... You can imagine my mindset leaving that room, yeah. having just been told there's nothing we can do, I'm sorry. Whereas, as you're just saying, mm. surely the point is is that it doesn't... Whilst it's not a good diagnosis, mm. it sounded like she was just giving you a death sentence. Oh, that's right. And that's what people think it is. Yeah. And so if only she changed her language, nobody should forget the psychological, 
vocal effect of language. Yeah. And if only she'd have said, yes, it is young onset dementia and a diagnosis no one wants to hear. Yeah. But if you think of it as the start of a different life, not the end. Yeah. The start of a different life, a life of adapting to the challenges that dementia will inevitably throw at you. Yeah. But remember, there is still so much you can still do. Yeah. Uh, how different my mind would have been coming out of the room. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're going through your iPad now. This is my lifeline. Yeah, I imagine it must be that way. I didn't know what an iPad was before dementia. And it's uh, and it's. Uh, I imagine it is a lifeline. It's my lifeline to the outside world. Yeah, it's like the uh, the wonderful world of Twitter. I'm a Twitter holly. Oh, are you? Yeah, because Twitter is my. I call it my world of silent conversation. So do you do you engage? Do you write oh. stuff or do you do you just oh, read? No. I you can't get me off Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I adore Twitter because I can have conversations with people. Yeah. Um my speed and when I type it's as though dementia has never entered my world because that part of my brain isn't broken. And to influence people I could never get hold of in a private, in the ordinary world. Sure. Um, you, I can educate, I can um, engage with researchers, engage with politicians, engage with other people with dementia. Yes. Yeah. We've got a, a huge community on Twitter because we know how isolating dementia can be. Yeah. And Twitter opens up this virtual world to people. 
So you've gone from an unbelievably private person to the most public person imaginable. Oh, yeah. Well, how, how does that, how does that feel? That. Dementia has given me this, this gift of outgoingness yeah. <laughs> uh, that I would never have had before. And is, it, uh, and is that something that you embrace? It's something oh, that you... yes. Because um, it, it's enabled me to... To, to tell my story openly mm. that I would never have told before. The, I, the private me would never have wanted to write a book. Yeah. They would never have wanted to stand up in front of people and talk. But I was so shocked by the lack of understanding and awareness of yeah. dementia when I was first diagnosed that that now I'll shout from the rooftops whenever I can. So do you have do you have a busy social schedule? Do you, do you oh, are you are you doing ca- my calendar is fuller now than when I worked. Really? <laughs> so is it public engagements? Yes. Yeah. And and kind Conferences of talks and um things like that wonderful things like this. Yeah. The, the the book has opened up a new opportunity for me. Yeah, absolutely. To speak to different people who might not have known about dementia. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, as I say, I'm a positive person, so I always like to try and see the positives. So I call this outgoing alien uh, a gift that dementia was bestowed on me so you're, you're saying it's almost transformed you into a different person yeah certainly has that's why my book somebody i used to know yeah that private person is is very different from the person you see now yeah i didn't didn't talk like this i didn't behave like this yeah i was a very different person sure in the first few years, because it's been, what, no. um, must be July about five years. 2014. So about five years. Yeah. And so in those first few months and that first year or so, what were the changes that you, that you most noticed? Other people's reaction to me. Other That's people interesting. started behaving differently to me because... Again, they heard the word dementia and they thought it was the end. Why aren't you in a nursing home? Why? Do you think so people had written you off, you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And did that make you more determined to do more? Uh, it, it made me... I, I saw how it was, how people's attitude was affecting my daughters. Right. And so... That must have hurt. I, I was then not prepared to see it as the end. Yeah. I didn't want them to see it as the end. Sure. Mm. What you're doing is, you know, and I'm, you know, I'll be one of a thousand, hundred thousand voices saying the same thing through Twitter and lots of things. What you, what you are doing, you know, I feel like I, I have to say is so inspirational for all the people who don't have the voice that you've earned, you're, mm. you know, that, you, that you've created for yourself. But are there times 
when you still feel isolated? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially on bad days. Sure. Uh, and the bad days are, you know, it's like a fog descends on the brain. Yeah. And imagine driving through a fog and not being able to see where you're going or yeah. know where you are. That's how it makes you feel. And also another sad aspect of social media, really, is there are some clinicians who question your diagnosis because I'm able to write a book. Yeah. I'm able to type. I'm able to go on Twitter. So they openly question your diagnosis, which is very sad because... Why on earth would anyone want to pretend they have dementia? So there are people who say, we don't believe that you do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they're all clinicians. Well, that sounds like the downside of Twitter, doesn't it? Yeah, but <laughs> I know where the block button is. Oh, there you go. Good. <laughs> so, you know, do you... But it's, you know, I, I, I'm that resilient person still. Yeah. So I, it's the people who aren't resilient that I want to protect and don't want them to see stupid remarks like that yeah. and things because yeah. it takes a lot to speak out and many people are afraid to speak out because of what others might think of them that might might question them yeah and i imagine there are people who who, who have spotted their own symptoms and keep it quiet because of the oh, stigma. Yes, right. The stigma. You'd think in this day and age we could rid people of that stigma, but it's, it, it's, it's very it, hard work. It feels like it's built into the language of how everything's dealt with, certainly in the media. We were talking about what a horrible word suffer is because it yeah. is all the negative connotations. But one of my own personal bugbears is when people on the news, you know, will say so-and-so has lost lost their battle with cancer. Oh, yeah, that's Or, right. you know, and, and it's, you know, as if they're a loser, as if, as right. if they've failed in some way. They've lost the battle. And I saw something, and it was, I think, Scope, um, uh, the, 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 the disability charity, they compiled a list, uh, a top five list of, of things people with disabilities didn't like to be called. And at mm. number one on that list was Brave. Yeah. Because brave for having to deal and endure this. That's right. That's and it's just, right. and it is, I mean, and it, it is a different, it is a case of being differently abled, isn't it? That's right. Because you've become a person now that, you know, that, that you would never have become. That's right. That's absolutely right. And I never, I tell people not to dwell on the losses. But yeah. I, I can't do lots of things, you know, I can't drive, I can't cook, mm. um, I never dwell on what I've lost because I've got no control over them whatsoever. Sure. And I never dwell on the future. Me and my daughters have talked about it, but I, we don't dwell on it yeah. because we have no control over the inevitability yeah. of the future. And so that's why I always concentrate on today and mm. now and doing the best to have a nice time now. Yeah. No, I think I think that's exactly a. It's the only way to look at it, and b. It's the best possible way to look at it. Well, that's right. Yeah, you you 
you can beat yourself up a thousand times by feeling sorry for yourself. I always say that's a a moment lost of joy. Yeah. And even if that joy is simply looking out as a beautiful flower, looking out at the birds, that's a joy. Yeah. So don't beat yourself up over things that you have no control over. I don't know if there's something you mind me saying, but you, but you 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 live on your own. I do, yeah. Do you think that's made a difference <laughs> in 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 terms of the fact that you've been that you stay, you know, oh, that, that yeah, you are absolutely. I I always say it's a big advantage to live alone, mm. which many people think is crazy. <laughs> but living alone means no one moves things for me. No one makes things disappear because if something's moved it no longer exists to me yeah and also i've not got that worry of having some your husband worrying about me or so you don't have that burden of guilt that's right right i can completely understand so it's a it's a, a Again, I see it as a blessing. Yeah. I think I'm lucky to be living alone. And it means also that I have to find a way. I have to find a way to overcome mm. what dementia throws at me, to to adapt to it. And many couples, for the kindest of reasons, yeah. they disable the person before... They've lost an ability to do something by, for instance, putting on their coat. My daughters used to put on my coat when I was first diagnosed. Yeah. But I could still put on my own coat. Yeah. And if I told them, if you keep putting on my coat, I'll forget how to put on my coat. Yeah. And you'll have to come here every single day. I want to go out and put on my coat. And they stopped immediately. Yeah. (laughs) But... People forget when they're in couples, they do it for the kindest of reasons. But actually, it's been unkind. Do you know what? I think that's such a that's such a fascinating point, though, isn't it? And that's so true. Mm. Because it is. It's just through. It is through absolute kindness, and and also, you know, as a way of coping, it's to develop a routine. Yeah. But the thing is, as as much as that comes from the kindest place possible. It's to your detriment. It is. Well, it's also to their detriment. To their detriment longer term. Yeah, because they'll keep having to do that task time and time again because we forget so easily. Yeah. And it's often something as simple as finding a different way for us to do it. Yeah. Um, For example, putting on your coat. It might take us an hour to put on a coat, but what does it matter? Yeah. You... Tell us to put, we're going out in an hour and to put our coat on and you go do something else. There's, uh, my mantra is there's always a way. There's always a way to adapt to another way of doing things. I think there should be more people like you, Wendy, to be honest. Oh, there's, there's lots of people like me talking out about living with dementia. Um, there's something wonderful called Dementia Diaries where we can all, we 
we speak our thoughts of whatever it is we want to say. Yeah. And they're all recorded on a wonderful website called Dementia Diaries. Sure. So there's lots of people with dementia to listen to on there. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's a really good tip. everybody's voice is important. There's a wonderful story about a, a very elderly lady in her home who used to drive the staff and the residents bananas yeah. because all she did all day was yeah. tap on the table. And the, the staff got really angry with her. Yeah. And their relatives, her relatives came over, I think, from Australia one time. Mm. And they asked, what on earth is she tapping for? And they said she used to work at Bletchley Park, <gasps> part of the Morse code. Yeah. And so then the staff would ask her about her young days doing Morse yeah. code. And she suddenly came to life oh because she could tell them. She knew. Yeah. And because people understood why, yeah. then it didn't drive them mad anymore. Yeah, God, exactly. That's the perfect story. Yeah. Everyone has a history, and it's just taking the time to find out about that person. Yeah. Because so much of what they do now, what they... they the what you see as annoying habits. Yeah. They all have a reason of why. Yeah. And it's because they regress back to that time of what they were. What's the piece of uh, advice or the motto that you that you've since mm. your diagnosis that you've tried to live by? Mm. Mm. Well, people forget that every day we're faced with decisions, mm. and some are tiny, what to have for lunch, and some are large, like how to cope with dementia. Yeah. And it's the path that you choose that can make or break you. Yeah. And I decided I would choose a positive path because I was determined not to give in to dementia like so many people thought I would. Yeah. And so just think, when you're making a decision, when you're faced with a life-changing decision, yeah. life-changing moment, just take a moment to think that your choice of what you think now will make or break you. Yeah. That's fantastic advice. Wendy, it's been a privilege to talk to you. Yeah, I had a lovely time. Thank Good. You. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much. And... Um, and so, what's the next thing that you? What's your in your in your busy crammed calendar? What's the next thing that you? What's the next thing that you're going to go and do? Well, maybe I should tell you the what was the last thing I did. Yes. Because on Saturday I did a skydive. Oh my! <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Really? I did a skydive for Young Dementia UK, and I had the most amazing experience falling out of a plane. Oh my God! <laughs> what was that? Did at any point you think, I'm not sure I can do it? No. Really? I've lost you all... are so gung-ho. <laughs> I've lost <laughs> all fear because I've faced my biggest fear, facing dementia. Yeah. So what else is there to be afraid of? Oh, my God, that's so true. Although I would still have been petrified. <laughs> 
Oh, Wendy, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And that was the astonishing Wendy Mitchell. The one thing that keeps coming back to me about when we met was when she mentioned that she got her resilience from her mum and her kindness from her dad, because that really is the best possible description of her. A gloriously open heart and kindness, but with a cast-iron resilience to everything that's just been thrown at her. As you'll have heard, this podcast is about sharing some fantastic life stories, but many older people don't have anyone to share their story with. There are 1.2 million chronically lonely people in the UK. If you'd like to know more, then visit campaigntoendloneliness.org and find out how together we can all end loneliness. Thanks to the amazing Wendy Mitchell and thanks to ACAST for hosting this show. See you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.